In my three-year journey, that was the first time I hit a low to where the thing that used to motivate me no longer motivated me. And that was how I knew I really was in a bad place. And what's triggered that was earlier in the day, I had been looking up, you know, funds that invest in women-owned companies or early stage startups, etc. And I ended up landing on the page of a particular fund. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. And I saw on their homepage that they had invested in a company that you might consider a competitor of ours. And on their website, it said, we invested in this company. They had no pitch deck, no team, no product. We just love their idea. And they invested millions of dollars. Is this a spoiler alert that it's dudes? It's two women, actually. Oh, good. Oh, yay. Yeah, but they don't look like me. White women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're very clear on this podcast. <laughs> 75% of iPhone Women members are women of color. And it is my absolute honor to be able to say that. And we have the most incredible entrepreneurs. And we don't, we don't pull any punches on what's going on. It's not equitable. It is fundamentally harder for black women to raise venture capital than it is white women. Period. Yeah. Welcome to the iFund Women Show, where we are talking to one entrepreneur about one huge problem in her business, and we are going to help her solve it. I'm your host, Karen Kahn. My team and I founded iFund Women to help female entrepreneurs get access to the capital, the expert coaching, and the lucrative connections all designed to grow our ideas into profitable, sustainable businesses. Let's do this. Okay. Karina Glover, it is so good to see you. Welcome to the iFund Women Show. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. Karina, tell us who you are, what your company's all about, give us your little elevator pitch, and we're going to get into solving a couple of problems that you have today. Yeah, all right. So uh, my name is Karina Glover. I am the founder and CEO of Her Headquarters. Her Headquarters is a tool that connects women-owned businesses and their teams to brand partnership opportunities with other women-owned businesses locally and nationally. So, you know, I know brand partnerships has a different meaning to different people. So in the world of Her Headquarters, a brand partnership is when two or more women-owned businesses come together um, to bring to life a project, an event, or campaign, and they find a way to partner in a way that's mutually beneficial to both of them. So on our platform, you know, it's very diverse. We might have users who had a company that's been in existence for about a year, and then others who are bringing in six or seven figures with a company that's been around for 10 plus years. And the thing that they all have in common, despite industry or location, is they want to make brand partnerships a part of their company's growth strategy. And so they use her headquarters to identify partnership opportunities that are uniquely aligned to their company. But one thing that we do really differently, we're not just, you know, a directory. These are partnership opportunities uh, posted by women-owned businesses today. Um, And then, you know, to kind of create a safety net to make these businesses and their teams feel a little bit more comfortable on our platform, they can also see each company's collaboration history. So who have they partnered with? Uh, how recently was that partnership? What was that experience that they gave the other companies that they partnered with? And so that's what we are. Uh, we launched in 2019. So we're approaching our three-year anniversary. Uh, we just secured our first venture deal, um, a six-figure investment with Betaboom. So now we're Wait a pause. second. Wait, 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 wait. Pause and let's celebrate that. Founders don't celebrate their wins. You've got to celebrate yeah. wins, big and small. This is a big one. Congratulations. You got Thank your first you. venture investment. Yay. 
Yeah. yeah. It, it, I had to reach out to over 115 investors. I thought, you know, when I started on the process last August that I would be closing on my round by Thanksgiving and I hadn't even secured a partner yet as of Thanksgiving. So it definitely took longer than I expected, but I've learned a lot. Um, and my skin has definitely thickened over the past couple of years. Did you find, Karina, when you went into the process of raising capital, and you've been a part of the iFund Women community for a long time, yeah. and you've heard all the data points, uh, you know, ad nauseum. And, and we don't try to focus on all the negative data points all the time because we're here to move the needle and create alternative funding opportunities yeah. outside of venture. But our entrepreneurs are, by and large, successful. And mm-hmm. they go yeah. on to raise venture capital. And so even knowing all the stats, which are horrific, and for those people who are just joining us for the first time on the iPhone Women Show, welcome. The stats are that last year, all female-founded companies raised 2.3% of venture capital dollars. Female founders of color have raised less than 1%. So, yeah. you know, that's just, the stats are shitty. And... Mm-hmm. It is what it is. But my question to you is, you know these stats. I know the stats, but I'm always like, I'm just going to go raise venture capital. Did you feel like, you know what, I know the stats are the way they are, but I'm going to go do it anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have always been a big dreamer, but I can also say dreaming big and big ideas, it means nothing if you do not have the work ethic and the discipline and the consistency to back those big dreams and big ideas. So I knew that I had it. I will say, in, in all transparency, I do feel that I underestimated how hard it was going to be. I did not expect it to be easy, but I did hit a point in my journey, actually specifically um, in November, where I hit a moment where I had to tell God, like, I believe in my heart that you called me to do this. You gave me this vision for her headquarters, but yet every effort that I'm making is matched with nothing in return. That's how I felt. I was in a really, really low place. I have been there. If it makes you feel any better, we've all been there so many times. Mm -hmm. I was sitting outside my grandparents' house and I was crying. My parents were in town. And and this actually goes to show how well, um, how transparent we're not actually. Because I was sitting outside my grandparents' house crying and praying. And I told God, if by the end of the month, you don't open a door that would make things easier for me to run this company and to pay my team and to do this and do that, I'm, I'm done. And I dried my tears and I went in the house and greet my parents. And I'm like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm so great. How are you? It's so good to see you. It's so crazy. Um, that was kind of how I got my confirmation because within two days, uh, the, the partners that had ended up investing in her headquarters, they reached out to me and said, hey, Karina, we heard about you through another fund and we really want to meet with you. Um, You're giving me the chills from head to toe. Yeah. And in my three-year journey, that was the first time I hit a low to where the thing that used to motivate me no longer motivated me. And that was how I knew I really was in a bad place. And what's triggered that was earlier in the day, I had been looking up, you know, funds that invest in women-owned companies or early stage startups, etc. And I ended up landing on the page of a particular fund. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. And I saw on their homepage that they had invested in a company that you might consider a competitor of ours. And on their website, it said, we invested in this company. They had no pitch deck, no team, no product. We just love their idea. And they invested millions of dollars. Is this a spoiler alert that it's dudes? It's two women, actually. Oh, good. Oh, yay. Yeah, but they don't look like me. 
White women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're very clear on this podcast. <laughs> 75% of iFund Women members are women of color. And it is my absolute honor to be able to say that. And we have the most incredible entrepreneurs. And we don't, we don't pull any punches on what's going on. It's not equitable. It is fundamentally harder for black women to raise venture capital than it is white women. Period. Yeah. And I, at the time that I saw that website, I had had thousands of users. I had paying users. I had a good product. Obviously, you know, still early stage product, so much room for growth. But I had- It's a good product though. I've been on it. It's good. Thank you. And that really, on that particular day when I was already in a low spot, that really put me in an an even worse place. And then I saw some article about, you know, less than 1% of black women. And, And so I read it as, I have a 99- percent plus chance of failure um and and you really have to pay attention to your thoughts and in the things that you consume when you're in a bad place because i was consuming all the things that were going to lower me even more i mean it's it, listen we're all human that is a universal truth for women entrepreneurs and one thing i will say is that it's actually pretty great that an analogous company got funding and lots of funding because it means that that market is hot. Listen, I feel the same way when I see, usually it's when we're in fintech, so it's usually I see other companies with a pitch deck, pre-product, pre-revenue, pre-everything, raising way more money at a higher valuation than iFundWomen, which is profitable, approaching eight figures in revenue, and is doing everything right, it makes me very, very, very upset and sad and angry. So I relate to that feeling. And I wish I didn't feel that way. And then it takes me talking to my investors or talking to my board members, shout out Divya and Anjali. I have two incredible women board members who have been there, done that. And whenever I'm feeling that way, I'll call them. And I'll be like, did you see that such and such just raised $10 million on a nothing, uh, you know, in their seed and they've got nothing? And they're like, but Karen, there is a market for exactly what you're doing. Like, look on the bright side. And it's hard. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm like, all right. It'll take me a minute. It's hard to, it's hard to look on the bright side. I'm just going to co-sign on your feelings. Yeah. Not that you, you know, need me to, like but it might just be helpful to know that you're not alone in that feeling. Yeah, something my investors told me really stuck with me. They said, you know, how much a company raises doesn't mean anything in comparison to how much it exits for. So don't get caught up in, you know, how many millions a company raises. The number that matters at the end of the day is exit. And I was like, okay. Absolutely. Well, what matters is efficacy of your products. So that's what we're going to focus on today. There's so much to unpack here. Okay, so Karina, what is the problem that you want us to help solve today on the iPhone Women Show podcast? I'm so excited for this. So... I mentioned earlier, it's about impact for me. And I really want to give the women-owned businesses on her headquarters the opportunity to have secured major partnerships with corporations. So think, you know, Nike, L'Oreal, Netflix, Coca-Cola, et cetera. And so I have a corporate partnership manager who's starting next week. And the, the goal in this is to secure corporate accounts with you know, uh, major corporations that would love to have their unmet project adventure campaign needs filled by the women-owned businesses on her headquarters. So let me give you a made-up dream scenario. Let's say we approach Nike, and in the conversation, we discover that Nike has an upcoming pop-up in LA. 
And, you know, for that pop-up to be a success, they still need a catering company, they need a production company, and a modeling agency. What we would like to do is work with Nike and have those needs that they have to be exclusively available to the women-owned businesses on our platform. So we would post that opportunity that Nike has in her headquarters platform. Our users can request to join it, and then our service kind our team would provide a service where we would narrow it down from maybe 150 requests to the top 10. And that is based off of Nike's unique preferences and needs. And we would hand over, hey, Nike, you know, we had 200 plus requests for you, this particular partnership. Here are the best 10 that fit your preferences. And then they can pick from there. And the value is, you know, kind of multi-layered. You know, we're in this big movement of companies trying to figure out how can I support women-owned businesses? How can I support Black-owned businesses? I want to make it easier for those corporations to do that while also giving these women-owned businesses who are more than capable of providing premium level services to these companies and getting them on the radar. So I want to be, I want her headquarters to be the middleman. Um, and so I guess my bigger concern or question is with us still being newer in the scene and not having a name just at work, you know, Coca-Cola doesn't know her headquarters just yet. You know, Netflix doesn't know her headquarters. And so how do we position the company in a way to where even though we're still young and growing, these companies would jump at the opportunity to partner with us and have their needs filled by the women-owned businesses on her headquarters. Beautifully said. I love that you just gave that dream scenario because that really allowed me to put myself in the place of not only you, but those potential brands. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. So what types of brands have you worked with so far? And do you have a great case study? Gotcha. So on our platform... You know, it's not brands per se. These are just women-owned businesses, uh, a little bit smaller. So that's everything from a, a fashion company to a PR company, event planning, catering, uh, marketing agency, a couple of tech companies. A few so you have the supply side of the marketplace filled out. It's the demand. Yeah, so those, we have the supply and the demand. So we have just over 1,500 small women-owned businesses on her headquarters, and they're actually partnering with each other. What we want to do is introduce partnership opportunities with bigger corporations and introduce them to our platform. Got it. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Okay. So even with the women-owned businesses that are collaborating together, you've got to start somewhere with case studies, things you're putting out on social that show that your matchmaking works, right? Even if it's on a small level. You have to show the efficacy of the curation and the product. Okay, I can do that. I can do that now. Oh. So so we did a brand partnership report where we um, surveyed 250 women-owned businesses from her headquarters and specifically asked them about partnerships that they secured in 2021. Um, results came back and 81% of them reported an increase in online traffic after securing a partnership within her headquarters. Uh, 58% of them reported they had an increase in revenue as a result of a brand partnership. 38% reported, you know, more uh, media exposure. And then 12% reported that they were on the radar of an investor as a result of these brand partnerships. So we're seeing the results. Um, It's just about, you know, how do we present ourselves in a light to where Netflix is like, absolutely, we have 
X number of projects and events coming up. We have 15 unfulfilled needs and we only want them to be filled by the women-owned businesses in your platform. Love that. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so that data is gold. Those insights are gold. You have to market that. That product marketing should be splashed all over, I know it's an app, but all over your website, all over your socials. That should be in your pitch deck. So you've got Tanya starting in a week. Tanya's going to have, you know, she's a sales professional. She's going to create a sales deck and that should be front and center because that you've proven that the model works. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation to you, Karina, is that everybody wants Nike. Everyone wants Netflix. Everyone wants Coca-Cola. Everyone wants Walmart, Target, all the biggies. And you will get them. You will get them. You need to start with smaller brands. So there's a couple ways you can think about it. There's, there's size of brand. I'm thinking like iPhone women should be using you guys. So we're a, we're a smaller brand, but we've got money to spend on freelancers, marketing. You know, we do events. We need help with stuff. So I think that the first step should be to bring in, I'm not saying not go for the gold and not try for the biggies, especially if um, Tanya has relationships. The whole sponsorships business, let me just bring it back for a second. The sponsorships and media landscape is all about relationships, especially sponsorships and especially like corporate partnerships, let's say. It's all about relationships and who you know and who you can get access to, which poses a large problem for many people who don't have these relationships. So hopefully, does Tanya have relationships at brands, number one? Yes, she her background is corporate sales and partnerships and sponsorships. She comes from Verizon. Amazing. And so is she yeah. bringing with her a Rolodex of people? Yes. Well, that is freaking fantastic. So that's awesome. So Tanya, listen to this episode. We'll put it up next <laughs> week. And so, you know, it'll be like your first day at work. And Tanya, you know what you're doing because you're a professional, but... You want to go with low-hanging fruit first, and the low-hanging fruit may be a smaller local brand. Where are you guys located, Karina? I'm currently based in Omaha, Nebraska, relocating to Houston. Oh, exciting. Congratulations. Houston is hopping. Oh, my goodness. Houston is where it's at. There's so many iPhone Women members in Houston. Yeah. It's one of the cities where we have our, our largest audience, LA, New York, and Houston. Okay. Fabulous. So... In my opinion, I think you should find companies in Houston that are not maybe nationally recognized brands, but are legit companies that want to hire women-owned businesses. You need to start somewhere. And trying to start with Netflix or Coca-Cola is not the greatest sales strategy because Netflix and Coca-Cola, to even get through their vendor approval process is like a rectal cavity search <laughs> literally oh my goodness. we and and I've been in this business this is what I did at Google and at AOL I did these enterprise deals I did these brand deals and when we started to do them at iPhone women and we're a fintech we had these inbound leads the first one was a huge pharma company but Unilever was the one that our data stack needed to be checked our tech stack we had to have certain insurance. So to work with these huge brands actually takes investment. 
So I remember when we started working with Unilever three years ago, and thank you, Unilever, for giving us business and funding women entrepreneurs. Seriously, shout out to Unilever and Caress specifically because they wanted to fund women entrepreneurs. But in order for iFundWomen to be the broker of those grants, we had to become a vendor in their system. You with me? And doing that, we had to make an investment. So luckily, we had brought on our tech team. Thank goodness the timing aligned because they had their technical team work with our technical team. Then there was the insurance, which, by the way, we didn't have. We had like basic liability and, of course, workers' comp and all that kind of stuff. But they needed a certain amount. I think it was like two or five million dollars of liability insurance auto insurance, DNO insurance. And for a, a scrappy small startup, we didn't have that. So we had to go invest in more insurance to get this big contract. But it was a big contract. So we were like, okay, our margins are slimming out here, but this is our first big one and we got to do it. And yeah. then there was so many more things. I just remember filling out form after form after form after form. And you have to be ready. And given where your tech is, not that your tech's not great because people are already using it, we had to have six figures to invest to get ready for Unilever. Yeah. So let me pause there. So there's a lot more behind the scenes than what you anticipated. Yes. And this isn't even part of our business model. This was an inbound lead of Unilever saying, hey, we want to work with you to give grants to women entrepreneurs. No, that's my job. My, the number one KPI at iFundWomen is to drive funding to women entrepreneurs. So there was no way in hell I was going to say no to that. And I was like, definitely, we have a brokered grants product. We can work with you. And we'd already worked with other brands. They just didn't have the vendor onboarding process that, you know, these big CPGs had. We had to go through the same thing when we worked with Procter & Gamble. So let me pause there. Is this information new to you? This information, yeah, it is. Like the insurance and I, I knew that some companies require may require you to be like on their vendor list. I didn't know how extensive the to-do list would be to be eligible to work with them or for them to work with you. It's not always like that with big companies, but with some, it is. So I'm not saying don't call on Netflix because I have no idea what their process is. It could be way easier right. than Unilever, but it's something to think about. So that's why I'm recommending starting with smaller brands. Let's take the Houston Rockets, for example, their hoops team, right? That mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider that a small brand. I would consider that a great brand to have on her headquarters. They are local in Houston. I would absolutely imagine that they've got a bunch of DE&I checkboxes that they need to make on their vendor diversity. Everyone's got vendor diversity metrics that they have to hit. And the Houston Rockets, I'm sure, are no different. And I would start at that level where it's local. You can literally walk in their IRL. I'm not saying it's easy to find the connections, but it's going to be much easier to get in with the Houston Rockets. Or I'm even going to throw out Lamique Beauty. Kim Roxy, shout out. Do you know Lamique? Do you know Kim Roxy? She's in Houston. She is a beauty tech company. They've raised venture capital. They are sold in Ulta Beauty. She's crushing it. She's doing seven figures in revenue. It's an up and coming brand, but she does events all the time. I would start networking with these brands and companies that are in the iPhone Women Network that are making money that need to do events. You know, start 
a little bit smaller on the brands and get your feet wet. I like that idea because also I think the benefit is that throughout that process of starting with the smaller companies, we can perfect our pitch. And so we're not going to Nike, for example, with the rusty pitch that we think is great. But then three months in, we realize, oh, wow, we're seeing some consistency and feedback and our pitch kind of sucks. Um, So that essentially our dream companies get the polished version of what we are sending over. Absolutely. You, you just nailed it. You need to bring on beta companies. Okay. And also, when you think about it, you're going to be going out and you are definitely going to close. Tanya and you are going to close a bunch of companies. Move to Houston. It is where it's at. I love that for you. Yeah. So many great companies down there. They would love to work with you. You already have the impact metrics that they want to see. And, you know, you can offer them beta pricing. Position it as like, We've already done this with our own community. That was sort of the alpha. Now we're going out and we are beta testing with more established companies and brands because the goal for you is to, number one, get these women hired, right? Right. That's number, number one. Yes, you need to make revenue, but the rev- once you have a product that works really well, meaning your supply of all your service providers and the demand of the companies that are coming to you on your platform and the matches that are made up, that is product market fit. So you need to do everything you can to get there and you're gonna get there with the smaller brands. Once you have that and you have more case studies and more data, the other companies are gonna come. They actually just really are gonna come and so will the revenue. So you kind of transition right into my next question. Um, How do we, thinking about how we price this. And I, when I think about this, I don't see it as just the one price point because, you know, in an example I gave earlier, it's about this company has identified, we have this coming up, we have this many unfulfilled needs. And so that's how many spots we have for women-owned businesses. You know, one company might only have one need for one project to vendor campaign. Another company might have 20 unfulfilled needs. Um, But I also see this as a service because myself and my team, we're going to be going through and vetting these companies on their behalf so we can hand over a top tier list of qualified businesses that they would love to work with. Mm -hmm. And my goal is to hand over a list that's so premium that they have a hard time picking. Well, dang, we only need one catering company or we only need one, you know, modeling agency. We don't know which one to pick. That's my goal. And so how do we price that? from the perspective of not only are we providing you quality leads, but we're doing work behind the scenes and vetting these people on your behalf. I have an answer for you, but I have a question before I give you an answer. How are you making money now, if at all? And if you're not, that's okay. Right now we make money through um, premium subscriptions or credits. So our premium is $19.99 a month. Premium plus is $39.99 a month. So our users, they can, at any account level, they can post unlimited brand partnership opportunities. Where we make money is when a a business is on her headquarters and they see a partnership that's a perfect fit that they want to request to join. When they go to request to join partnership, they're either prompted to purchase a one-time credit or a upgrade to premium. So that's where we make our money from. I'll give you a real example. Let's make this better. Yes. We had a user in Houston who had a full service salon and COVID hit. 
non-essential businesses had to close down. She's freaking out. How do I make money with my doors closed? She thought of a genius creative idea and she thought, well, I would like to partner with another woman-owned business in the beauty industry. And I want this collaboration to be where we co-create limited edition at-home spa day kits. So she posts this opportunity on her headquarters for free because they can post opportunities for free. So she posts, this is my business. This is the collaboration or partnership I have in mind. This is the length of it. These are the perks. We can split the revenue. I can provide A, B, and C. And that's her opportunity. Meanwhile, another user who is in San Francisco who has a skincare line is scrolling, looking for opportunities that are a great fit for her business. And she sees, oh my gosh, the salon wants to co-create limited edition at-home spa day kits perfect opportunity. She's on the free version. So she decides, I want to request to join this partnership. Then she's prompted like, hey, this is going to be a great partnership for you, but you don't have any credits. You can upgrade to premium to get credits or you can purchase a one-time credit. And so these two users ended up forming a partnership via her headquarters, two different cities, came together, created limited edition at-home spa day kits, and they both made money while their doors were physically closed in the peak of COVID. I mean, that's me giving a little soft clap. Bravo. This is so awesome. Karina. Yeah. This is so amazing. Thank you. Something that really shocked me, and I'm not shocked a lot. Uh, since we've launched, since day one, over 90% of the partnerships formed on our platform are between businesses or users in different cities. I didn't expect that. And the feedback that I heard is that our, we want our business to be successful beyond the borders of our city or beyond the borders of our state. So that means we need access to mutually beneficial partnership opportunities beyond our city and our state. I love and that. And so we have a huge scalability uh, Potential. opportunity yep. because... Our users are like, I don't want to partner with such and such in Omaha, Nebraska. I already know them. I want to partner with someone in LA. I want to partner with someone in Chicago or Dallas or New York City, et cetera. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. So in the case with the woman in San Francisco who joined the project, was she a member? Did she decide to sign up for the monthly membership? In her case, if I remember right, I believe she purchased a credit. And is that typical for customers? Um, I would say some of our users who don't partner year round, they're they're more likely to purchase a credit. So the users who, you know, they're securing five to six brand partnerships a month or a year maybe, they're going to go with the premium subscription. But the, the advantage of the premium subscription and what attracts people to it is not just the ability to submit a request to join a partnership, but they also get more access to um, that person's history. So that with the premium subscription, that's where you can see their collaboration rating. That's where you can see who they partnered with before, what type of partner they were, et cetera. So they have more access um, and, and more of a safety net. So they're feeling more comfortable partnering with this business that maybe they don't know. And then another perk is that whenever a user who's on the premium account level, when they post a partnership or request to join a partnership, they have priority display. So they appear at the top of the list. Um, so they they stand out more than someone who's on the free version. You're brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, really, I feel like my users are brilliant. You really, like that is brilliant. I love the incentive to upgrade to a monthly membership, which PS is not expensive. It's a fabulous price point, And you get more access to the information about these potential partners. Okay. So what, you're, what I think you're asking about is how can you make money from your curation? In that scenario, would you curate for anybody? Or are you just going to curate for the bigger enterprises that come on? 
for the bigger enterprises because ideally they're paying paying a much higher price point than thirty nine ninety nine a month uh, with you know with the users with their premium a premium plus price point they they do all their vetting they you know they can see their uh, partnership history and rating, but they have to determine and, you know, maybe do some messaging back and forth. I think you're a better fit for this reason. I'm going to accept your request, but the bigger corporations, we would be doing that service for them. Yep. Totally get it. So we run a very analogous business on the enterprise side. So for example, when Visa wants to do 25 grants to businesses with specific criteria, and we've got three or 4,000 applicants, our humans will go and curate down and we will give them 30 to choose from. And we know that we're gonna curate that list down to the 30, I mean, they're gonna have a tough time choosing and they always do. Yeah, so number one, I would caution you not to give them too much more than what they've asked for. So if they've asked for 10 providers or 10 businesses, give them 15, right? Don't give them 50, because then they're gonna have that list And then what are they going to need you for, for their next event? What you need to do is you need to do a unit economics model on how much it costs you in human capital to curate. So essentially, we have five people on our enterprise team, and they all have different roles. We take their annual salary, and we break it down into an hourly rate. And we know, because we've done this a thousand times, how many hours it will take somebody, a human, to curate a list, how many hours it will take for an executive to sign off on the list, depending on what's going to make you more money, you could do the following. For an enterprise level subscription, you could make it $1,000 a month or $10,000 annually, or you can price it out by the hours that you're going to be working on it. If you go with the subscription model, you will have to cap it at whatever your business model or your unit economics model says of where you're going to like stop making a great margin. Does this all make sense? Yes, it's so helpful. So one last question. Of course. This is something that we're piloting out. I feel very confident that this is going to be really successful. But um, as I'm still fundraising, would you, I guess my hesitation is how do I present this if this is something that we haven't proven as a concept. And I also don't want to give the impression that this is replacing our current. We um, have proven it as a concept. You have. You have proved it as a concept. You've just been doing the work for free. You've been doing the curation for free. That was your beta. So when you're going out to investors, you need to show them the efficacy of what you've done and say, okay, we know that these companies need curation because there's hundreds of applicants for these things and they need to know who's the best of the best and we have that data so we know. So moving forward, that was the beta. We know it works, everyone's happy. We have all this information. This literally should be in your investor deck in addition to your sponsorship deck. And now here's the pricing model moving forward for enterprise. It's gonna be either a fee-based model based on your hours or a subscription model. And you're only going to know that once you run the numbers. Okay. This is so helpful. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm so excited for this. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And you're going to be the first person. I mean, and I'm going to follow your advice on like starting with the lowest hanging fruit and like the smaller brands. I think that's genius and it's really strategic. Um, But once we hit Nike, which is at the top of my wish list, 
I'm, you're going to be the first person I let know. The first person. Okay, you're going to make me cry now. And when you call me about Nike, like, let the waterworks yeah. go. Yes. yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Karina, you are a superstar. Listen, being a startup founder is hard. You've got to have a reset. So if that means taking a day off, actually, and having a me day, doing what you need to do, taking your dog and cat for a walk and having like a moment. Do you take your cat for a walk? No, he irritates me. I barely like him. (laughs) Take a minute because now you and Tanya are going to start fresh next week and go out to market and you're going to crush it. And that's what's going to happen. Are you in? Yeah. Nothing other than winning is the plan. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. Yeah. Uh You're going to Texas. You got to learn this lingo, friend. I have this thing on my desk. Um, It says, behind me is infinite power. Before me is endless possibility. Around me is boundless opportunity. Why should I fear? That's on my desk. Mike, drop. Karina Glover, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the iPhone Women Show. I hope you come back and tell us how things are going in about nine months. Wishing you all the best. And thanks for being here. Thank you, Karen.